so it's my privilege to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who might be uh, connecting into our Forest Town uh, online meetings, uh, my name is Helen Rist, and um, I'm the ministry coordinator here at Forest Town Church. And uh, we're doing a vision series at the moment, and our vision is uh, rooted in Christ, planted in family, and fruitful in life. And so today I'm going to be taking up that third part of our vision statement, which is fruitful in life. Um, even though we've been in lockdown and we've had to restrict our meetings with social distancing and having various online forums, I'm so excited to see how the church has really grown and flourished through this time. And we've been able to keep going through all the ups and downs. Because over the past five months, we've had about 50 visitors come through our church and visit us in our different meetings. Uh, we've, had, we've been able to welcome 12 people into membership. And we've hosted nearly 70 online ministry forums in different ways. So it's just exciting to see how things have been going on as a church family. And I want to rave a little bit also about the amazing teams that we have at Forest Town Church that have really kept things going through everything. We're so grateful to our wonderful eldership team with Clive and Sandra and Ed and Enshin and our amazing trustees, um, Annika and Wynn. Uh, we're so privileged to have such a faithful, compassionate and wise team helping us lead this, this church community. And uh, we Want, we're so grateful, too, for our intrepid staff team who've rallied together to make sure that church life has continued to be facilitated with much graciousness at every turn. And uh, thank you, too. I'm going to say a lot of thank yous. Uh, thank you to our amazing preaching team, godly men and women who've just been able to keep us well-fed and keep our eyes focused on Jesus during this time. Uh, I love our worship teams. They have been so humble and flexible just to find ways to lead us into God's presence during this lockdown. And then we have Rachel and our Kids Zones team. Uh, we've had uh, our family services and our lunch clubs on Zoom on Sundays. And just a wonderful, uh, interactive and engaging time for our families and children to be part of. And then Becky and the Fuse team, who've been amazing in just supporting our young people through this time. I know that it's been a very, very challenging time for families and especially for young people as their school lives have been disrupted. Um, but thank you to the amazing Fuse guys for all that you've done. And then we want to say a special thank you to Sean and Andrew and Chris and our amazing media teams who've just been there to make it possible for all of us to stay connected through our online forums on Sunday meetings to the daily devotions and so many more ways. And uh, I don't know if you know about this, but our prayer team has been faithfully praying for people that have, been gone, have gone through illness or struggles all the way through this pandemic. They've been there faithfully praying and lifting up people in prayer. And we want to say thank you to our amazingly friendly, welcoming team who just responded with such servant-hearted joy uh, to make adjustments to our meetings so that we could be COVID safe and still be welcoming and friendly when we had to meet. 
And then thank you to our brilliant life group leaders. Whenever Ant and I speak to church leaders across all different denominations, I think that life groups have really taken an impact during this lockdown. And it's been hard to facilitate that particular ministry, but still you've reached out and cared in whatever ways that you can. And we're looking forward to a relaunch of our life groups after Easter, just to see them flourish and get strong again. And then I want to say, Thank you for everyone who's part of this church community. Thank you for hanging in there through everything, because you guys are amazing. And thank you, of course, to our faithful, wonderful God who sustained us in everything. So in thinking about this part of our vision statement, fruitful in life, I felt to explore what it means to leave a legacy, a lasting impact and godly influence on those around us. You know, often when we think about leg legacy, we think about things, about material possessions. But legacy is also about who you are and how you touch people's lives, both positively and negatively. Someone that I admire for how he has harnessed and used his wealth and influence for good is Bill Gates. He famously built the Microsoft empire with sometimes probably some ruthless resolve. But he said that, the first half of his life really prepared him for the second half. He turned his pursuit for technology to a pursuit to use technology to save the lives of the world's poorest of the poor through vaccinations, clean drinking water, providing uh, safe toilets and sanitation for women in slum areas. He said an interesting thing in an interview. He said, material legacy is a stupid thing. I don't want a legacy which you wouldn't think he would say that. But he said, if people look and see that childhood deaths dropped from 9 million a year to 4 million because of our investment, then that is something worth commending. Then the other thing that's so prevalent around us at the moment is global warming. And we see images on television of these plastic soups in our sea. Those are examples of a negative legacy left by a consumerist society. We often see images of the current shock waves that are increasing all the way throughout our planet from extreme weather patterns, flooding on the one hand and drought on the other. And uh, the projections are that there are going to be millions and millions of people who will become climate refugees fleeing their countries just because there is no water. And then we have climate change activists like Sir David Attenborough and Greta Thunberg, who are intent on educating and impacting people's attitudes to really understand the very danger there is to the diversity of life in our planet going forward. So you have Bill Gates, Sir David Attenborough, Greta Thunberg, and many others who are world changers, and their legacy impacts millions of lives. Now, when I was a child and when I was growing up, I fancied that one day I would like to be a world changer. But as you may all begin to experience your dreams as a child and what reality plays out might not be the same. And as you come to face your own limitations and lack of capacity, I had to formulate a new motto for my life. And I said to myself, I may not be able to change the world, but I can change my world. I can impact the sphere of influence and the relationships 
that God has given me. In John 15, verse 16, we read Jesus' final words to his disciples before his crucifixion. He said these simple words. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, or the name of my Father, I will give you. I really believe that Jesus wanted for his disciples, and so too for us, that our lives would have an impact that would have a lasting legacy, a fruitful one that points people back to him, back to Jesus. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, we find the situation where Paul is nearing the end of his life and he is under house arrest. This must have given him much time just to think and reflect on his ministry and the deposit that he had left in the lives of those that he worked with and the churches that had been planted under his apostleship. I know that we are not quite under house arrest during lockdown, uh, but having the busyness of our lives curtailed leaves much opportunity to think and to reassess our lives, our priorities and our goals. And so in this letter that Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. So when Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, he understood that legacy is only a legacy when it is passed on to those around us, to the next generation, and to those God has called us to serve in our families, our church, our communities, and our workplaces. Maybe we could just pause for a moment, take a moment to stop and think, who has God called you to share your life with and to minister his grace to? Maybe you want to just take a moment, think about those people that God has given you a sphere of influence and grace towards. And as we continue, though, to read Paul's words to Timothy, he begins to outline something of what his legacy is. And when I read this, it might not be what you would think the great apostle would say. Paul uses three illustrations to leave a lasting visualization of the Christian life lived well. And uh, this is found in 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 to 6. He says these things. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown unless by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Paul says that the Christian life is like being a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. 
And from each of these illustrations, he draws out some key qualities that mark our lives when we journey with our faith in God. And so I'd just like to unpack some of those for us this morning as we explore what it means to be fruitful in life. The first thing he wants Timothy to know is that life is tough. Life is tough. Life has challenges and hardships, and this is no exception for Christians. Think of life as a soldier or the life of a soldier. He or she has to go through rigorous training and discipline, only then to face the horrors of the battlefield. Life for a soldier at war is traumatic. It is about summoning up enormous courage and overcoming very real fear in the midst of every skirmish. You see, we all have battles that we have to go through, most of which we probably don't choose, but that we stumble onto or in as we make our way through life. Maybe things like illness, uh, job loss, losing family, loneliness, marriage struggles, and raising children in an unkind world. This is not the new age teaching of the prosperity preachers like Joel Osteen and Paula White, who promise blessing at every turn if you only have faith in Jesus. No, Paul says that the soldier is to take his share in sufferings. This suggests that every Christian has to endure trials and tests that is a common experience for all Christians. Then he says, think of the life of an athlete. We like to watch an exciting race, but behind the scenes are endless hours of training, stamina building, and mental battles to overcome. When I used to train for the 800 meters, I would get up before school every morning and run eight kilometers. And then after school, we would do track training with speed training. And then every Sunday at 5 a.m. before church, we would do a 15K run just to work off all the lactic acid from our races on a Saturday. That was my life as a teenager. You know, no one wins a race without the hard work of training. God wants us to win our race, but we are to work hard at the things that really matter. And that is the real question, really, that we should be asking. Are we working hard at the things that are leaving a good legacy behind us, like investing in our families and friendships and using our gifts to bring life to others in our workplace and our communities? And then Paul says, think of the life of a farmer. The farmer has to toil in plowing up the soil and gathering the harvest and to be at the mercy of the elements and the seasons. This is hard physical labor. And in the Christian life, there are seasons of plowing and breaking up open ground, times of sowing and patiently waiting to see growth and breakthrough. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. We have to push through the hard times till we see the harvest of righteousness in our lives. So that's the first thing that Paul wanted to tell Timothy. 
The second thing about living the Christian life well is that serving God demands single-minded focus. When a soldier is on a campaign, he can't get caught up in the daily demands and distractions of civilian life. He has to have a single-minded focus as he prepares to go into battle, listening to the commands of his officer. And so it is with the Christian life. Not that we opt out of society and we neglect our friends and family and work. No, we, we need to eat, we need to take care of our health, and our responsibilities to our family and our work are important. No, Paul is actually here talking about our loyalties and our priorities. It means that loyalty to Jesus as our commanding general is our grounding perspective on what we value and each decision that we make. And Paul is warning that the Christian life lived well must be aware of those priorities, that no matter how well-meaning, those priorities that draw us our attention away from loyalty to Jesus. What is most important to Jesus then becomes most important to us, like caring for the reaching out to the lost, uh, treasuring his precious church community, and uh, caring for the poor. Sometimes it's good to stop and to think about what are the things that are driving us and motivating us. Sometimes we get caught up in fears and anxieties, and without realizing, we start to serve those things instead of Jesus. Then the third thing about living well is that we need to play by the rules. Paul says that the athlete only wins the prize when he runs according to the rules. Now, Paul is not talking here about being a slave to Old Testament rules, as Anne so wonderfully preached in our part of our vision series on being rooted in Christ. No, we live by the Spirit, which means we are no longer under any rules for how we are to live as Christians as Michael Eaton says, when we follow the, the Holy Spirit deliberately, we fulfill the law accidentally. You will fulfill the law when you just listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, in this illustration, Paul is saying, don't be tempted to step into the gray zone of compromise, where you begin to make choices that dishonor Jesus and step by step become unfaithful to him. When Jesus is no longer central to our lives, what we start to do is we start to rely on our own strength without the grace of God. You can't win the race that way. None of us can. Each of us has a race that we have to run. We don't run against each other, but we have a unique journey, and the only way that you can finish this life of faith well is to rest in the finished work of Christ. And he is the one who brings us to the finish line. Those are the rules that Paul is talking about. He has paid the price. He gives us strength to overcome. And he guides us by his Holy Spirit. It's the rule of grace and love that we win this race, that we come to the finish line. And then the fourth thing is that for every life lived, 
well, there is a reward. The soldier wins in battle and he pleases his commanding officer. The athlete wins the race and gets the crown. The farmer reaps the fruit of his hard labor. So I want to encourage you this morning, whatever trial you are going through, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Whatever tough battles you are persevering through, keep your eyes on your commander, Jesus, who awaits to praise you for your faithfulness. Whatever seeds you have sown and not yet seen bud, hang in there. Your good works will be rewarded. You see, in the lives of these different characters, the, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, Paul commends us in these examples to a confident assurance that as we live our lives rooted in these simple values, we will leave a rich legacy of the power of the gospel to those around us. To live a fruitful life, to leave a legacy from God who is who's placed us in the world where we are in our specific context, Paul is essentially saying this. He's saying, hang in there. Life is tough. But if you keep your heart soft to God and honor him, if you don't throw away your confidence, but persevere and keep your heart loyal to Jesus, then you will see a fruitful life knowing God's favor. And so I want to just end this morning by asking this question. How then do we go about passing on a legacy, this kind of legacy? And I want to say that I believe that it's by simply living each day honestly and simply before God, faithful in the small things each day, holding the course, and over time it produces a lifetime of fruitfulness. One day at a time. His word says that his mercies are new every morning. We take care of one day at a time, and over time it produces a lifetime of fruitfulness. You know, I think that deep down, people don't really watch our outward successes and failures as much as they watch whether we hold the line of our convictions and walk steadfastly with humility and grace. One of the greatest legacies we can leave is simply to stay the course, persevere to the finish line, cross over with all our battle scars from the journey and yet resting in the grace of God. Our young people need hope amidst the pessimism and the cynicism that surrounds them. A life lived well with kindness and humility is a beacon of hope and a compass to so many. <clears throat> and then Paul ends his illustration with verse 7, where he says, Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. And so here is an invitation to each of us to ask the Lord what these illustrations mean for each of us personally. And I want to invite us all this week to take some time out to reflect on these three different illustrations, these verses in Paul's letter to Timothy, and just to say, Lord, how is it that you're wanting my life to become more lasting in its impact and more fruitful in your grace 
for your gospel's sake. Let's be a church community of soldiers, athletes, and farmers, and leave a fruitful legacy to those around us. So that's just the thing that I wanted to bring this morning. And uh, we're going to just um, have a time of worship. Uh, there's a beautiful song called Move, where we just trust God to move in our midst, move in our hearts. And from that place, we move out and we begin to do all that God has commissioned us to do. So let him minister to you now as uh, Stuart and Emma lead us.